Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from California, but now I'm living in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Shur. I am from the Northeast part of China, and I'm speaking to you from Beijing, China today. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, we have a very special guest, Andy Borham, a journalist in Shanghai. I want to give a bit of a background. Mr. Borham, am I saying that correctly? I guess so. I mean, we don't even know how to say it. <laughs> okay, Mr. Borham is a New Zealander or Kiwi living in China. He has a triple major in media studies, political science, and Chinese from Victoria University, and a master's degree from Shanghai's Fudan University, a very prestigious Chinese university, in Chinese language and culture. Andy is a journalist and weekly columnist for the Shanghai Daily, the official English language newspaper in Shanghai. He is also the host and creator of Reports on China. Welcome to the bridge, Andy. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Hey, that introduction sounds really formal. I hope we can kind of back off from that for the rest. <laughs> <laughs> What I wanted to jump on first, because I think it's really fun for uh, uh, our Chinese listeners, is you study Chinese for your BA and your MA. Right. Yeah, that was um, that happened actually quite by accident because I initially had uh, two majors for my uh, undergraduate. It was uh, political science and media studies. Mm. Then I got the opportunity to um, do an exchange, which was really exciting. So I wanted to come to China, but unfortunately, mm. I couldn't speak Mandarin. So they were like, "Oh, what do we do? Maybe mm -hmm. you could go to Hong Kong. They have some classes in English. I was like, "Oh, have a look. It was all full. And then um, the, mm. the assistant at the university was like, you know, you could just go and, and do a Mandarin semester and learning Mandarin. I was like, okay, let's try it. Enjoyed it, added it. And now it's like become a huge part of my life, I guess. I was hoping, you know, my HSK level, firstly, admittedly is like four. So it's not good. very good. You must have a HSK, I guess the new, in the new systems, like seven or eight. So no, 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 no. I got to tell you a secret. Actually, my master's was taught in English. Um, oh, when, I, nice. when I came to Shanghai uh, to do that, that was uh, 2015, I think. I can't even remember, 2017. My HSK, at that point was also level four, um, which wasn't enough mm -hmm. to do a master's in actual Chinese. So mm. that master's was taught in English. Um, and I kind of, ever since then, I've been working really hard to um, improve. But in terms of the new HSK levels, I think it goes up to nine or something. Yeah, now. yeah, wow. yeah. I haven't even attempt it. Like I did five and then I heard um, level six back when they had up to level six is mm -hmm. really, really difficult. And I haven't tried it. <laughs> We have a lot of listeners in China also. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could say something that would show our Chinese Chinese listeners oh that, you know, you know, maybe a joke or just like, I don't know, some bit of something that I probably wouldn't be able to say or understand. Why don't I do it in Shanghainese? Uh, that, yeah, that sounds really fun. <laughs> oh, then I could guess too. Okay. That I could, I could take part as well. But you have to know first that Shanghai, you know, has Shanghainese. It's the um, local dialect, but there's also mm. so many different um, versions. So the one I've learned, uh, I learned how to introduce myself goes something like this. Uh, and actually, if you're a Mandarin speaker, there's parts you can understand because Shanghainese, a lot of it, especially for, for 
young people today has pieces of Mandarin, pieces of English. So here we go. Mm, I've heard that before. Uh, 大家好，我是雨迪，是从新西兰来呀。啊、uh, ，我在上海直播工作，来上海七年了。我不大会得讲上海话，这个我老欢喜这个人字。So Alex, what does this mean? <laughs> I... Oh, you got her. But I have to say, I have to say, it's not like honestly.、Um, oh. I did I did a video on Shanghainese and I learned that introduction. But when I say it to different people, they're like, "That's not what we sound like." Or some people will say, "Wow, you sound a lot like someone from Chongming Island." Yeah.、Uh, so I mean, it's not very Belgian. I got that you you're living in Shanghai or you're you're working in Shanghai. You've been in Shanghai for seven years, and and my name is Andy. Right.、Um, that's about it. I didn't get anything.、Mm. Else. It was very fast. I'll walk you through some. So、uh, you know, a lot of it sort of sounds like Mandarin. Like if you say "chinian,"、yeah. seven years, mm, mm, you just、mm. say "chinila."、Mm. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like seven years. That's probably why yeah, you picked it up. It yeah, but also we say "muva da ve da gan sanghiu." I something learned to speak Shanghainese. No, the last bit. Well, the first word and the last word you got. Like, <laughs> so what is "mu"? Yeah, "va da ve da gan sanghiu." I don't speak Shanghainese. Va da is like bu tai hui va da va da. Like I know a little bit, but not too much. Right. You're listening to the bridge. I don't want to go too deep into、uh, Mandarin and Shanghainese because a lot of our listeners are also in North America, and they're probably like, "What are you guys talking about?" So weirdos.、Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just probably put off-putting for someone who doesn't already speak Mandarin a little bit. But I wanted、hmm. to ask you, Andy, since you have been living in China for seven years, what originally brought you over? Actually, I've been in、uh, Shanghai seven years. Oh, actually, no. It's longer than that. See, this is why you know you can kind of see my Shanghainese isn't that great because that's the introduction I learned two years ago. So now <laughs> it's, it's I just spent two years perfecting. It's it. right. So now it's nine years or nearly ten years, I think,、uh, in China in total.、Mm. Um, I came initially、uh, for that semester、um, uh, doing Mandarin Chinese. That was in Shanghai,、mm. but I've also done、uh, a semester at Tianjin University up in Tianjin,、mm. um, a semester in、uh, Yunnan Dashuo Yunnan、mm. University in Kunming City. Uh, and then I did my masters at Fudan. So、wow. a lot of different experience from kind of north, mid, and southern China. But there's a lot more. So originally, you were thinking about studying Chinese culture and language. That our story started, you know, preceded that. Why、mm. were you interested in coming to live in China and study? I guess I've always been really interested in Asian cultures for some reason, particularly East Asian. But I also、um, spent、uh, some time volunteering, like in Cambodia, Thailand.、Um, mm-hmm. Those places, although I really love their culture, it's just too hot all year round. <laughs> so, I thought you were going to say something that is super profound, something more meaningful. No, <laughs> they're just too hot. I really love the kind of collective culture. So I find、um, Asian countries, the ones I've visited, to be very real、uh, now, very very、uh, happening. There's a lot happening.、Uh, so、yeah. uh, after that, I kind of, I visited、uh, China for the first time twelve years ago for a holiday.、Mm. That was、um, actually to Nanning in Guangxi Province, and then to Guang.、Oh. Uh-huh. And、oh. it was winter, and I was like, "What? There's an Asian place that's not hot." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, I love this place." <laughs> so then, when I got the chance to do、um, exchange, I really wanted to come to China.、Mm. Always been really interested in China, China's long culture. 
uh, I find it fascinating because it's just so different. Yeah. Everything about China is so different to New Zealand. So after I came and did that semester learning uh, Mandarin, I just got hooked, I guess. And that kind of became the direction of my life after that. Well, you know, you're your undergraduate uh, third major. Well, firstly, I've never actually heard of anyone with a triple major. It's not that but, hard. Uh, <laughs> Bragging, bragging much. Oh, wow. Yeah, it sounds it sounds hard to the rest of us throwing 20 or 30 extra units on. I uh, I don't know if that's how you guys counted in, in New Zealand, but like you may be a bit of an outlier. But what were your perceptions of China before you came to China mm. versus how, how you found China to be in person? Absolutely, completely different. Um, I think I was a victim of Western media mm. representations of China, I guess. Um, so when I first came to China on that trip uh, 12 years ago, we took a bus from um, Hanoi in Vietnam all the yes. way to Nanning in Guangxi. And we were like expecting it to be like dirty, depressing, gray. <laughs> Honestly, every bad thing you could imagine, that's what we were expecting. Mm. And then most of the trip was kind of over mountains and we couldn't see much. And we were like, wow, this is so, you know, the me the Western media love to use the word draconian when they describe China. <laughs> That's what we felt. Like we were like, oh, this is so exciting. It's like, you know, heading into yeah. a forbidden land. It's so scary. <laughs> um, but then when we got to Nanning, it was like so clean and beautiful and modern. The people were so friendly. And we were like... This is like, I just felt like I'd been hoodwinked, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And from then on, I was just like, I had to find out more. Uh, so, you know, we took a train on that trip as well to Guangzhou. Mm. Um, it was just amazing. Um, so absolutely, completely different. If, if Honestly, if you just get your understanding of China from uh, Western media or Western movies, you don't know China, really. You have to come. So, you know, one of the reasons I invited you on, because you, you're very popular online with talking about what China is really like. You did media studies since undergraduate and you're a journalist here in China. I want to read uh, oh. something I saw on Twitter recently. Uh -oh. A bunch of people were arguing about something pertaining to Chinese culture. And someone, <laughs> Colin TTWSYF, <laughs> said, I doubt it. Maybe Andy BXXX can confirm it. So when people are not, they're not actually sure oh. if something's true about China, they actually look to you mm. to confirm, is this something that is actually true? Because mm. people look to you as someone who is legitimately a media representative of media in China who actually knows what, how things are going. Oh, that's, it's kind of a double-sided that I think it's really like, I feel honored that they would turn to me for uh, help debunking something or confirming or denying something, but mm. it, at the same time, I kind of feel like it would be so much better to ask a Chinese person, to be honest. Like, I just really feel like, um, you know, looking at reality, this is the way the world is. A lot of people yeah. believe a foreigner more than they might believe a Chinese person. But I really <laughs> wish that would change. Like, I do feel really, really honored um, that they will do that. And at times, you know, sometimes I like I haven't seen that message, but sometimes I'll see them and I'll try to help them out. But really, I really wish. And there's a lot of Chinese people on Twitter um, who they could turn to. <laughs> I wish they would ask them, to be honest. Mm -mm -mm. That's that's a really good point, actually. Mm. So you studied media and then you studied Chinese language and culture. And mm. now you do uh, media. You're a journalist here in, in China. How did that work out? Um, actually, I've always uh, obviously had a real interest in media uh, ever since I was a little kid. Like mm. when I was really, really young, uh, I started a street newspaper oh, yeah. <laughs> using a little printer, like printing out uh, headlines and stuff. It was quite scandalous. Um, <laughs> wow. Sometimes the, even the police were called sometimes. Wow. So I was like... 
10 or 11 and uh, there was one instance where one of the fathers on the street threatened one of the kids so I did a story a big expose and I was like we can't um, confirm who it is <laughs> blah, blah, blah. people freaked out it was like wow. a huge scandal um, so I've always and you been, had you had the journalism integrity as a kid and without <laughs> even learning about it in J school honestly I loved it and then at school as well in primary school we used to have you know the annual school elections I never ran for office I always ran the school mm. newspaper so we would do little collage with stories mm. and then photocopy it it was always really exciting. Um, then I started, uh, when I was about 12 or 13, I bought my first video camera and I would make movies all the time. Uh, then I started my own TV channel. I had like a little video sender that I po mm. uh, broadcast around my street. So I've always been really interested in media. Um, Is there a reason, like what affected you mm. as a young boy to like uh, be really interested in media so much that you were like into media at 10? I'm really not sure. Like I can't put my finger on it. Um, I guess I'll have to go see a counselor and try and figure it out. <laughs> but it's just always been there. I can't remember like what the seed was, what started it. But... Do your parents love watching the news? No, they don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really weird. Uh, they loved just going to be one of the mysteries yeah. <laughs> when I was little, like, um, you know, on the weekend, my family just loved renting videos, closing the curtains, eating popcorn. And I was never there. I was always like always outside making things, doing videos. Uh, so it's just always been there. Then in, um, uh, when I came to do my master's, uh, I really wanted to um, get involved in Chinese media, basically out of curiosity, because I knew, you know, there's so much I had been told about China that mm -hmm. was wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of the main ones is media. People, t people will tell you such, you know, awful things about Chinese media. Mm. And I just had to find out myself. So first off, I did an intern at internship at um, Sixth Tone oh, for a summer. Yeah. yeah. And then after that, um, Shanghai Daily, then I it was really interesting, actually. Um, they gave me a column at Shanghai Daily while I was still an intern, which was really awesome. Mm. A weekly column. Mm. And then when I graduated, they offered me a job. So that's where I am today. <laughs> so is the reason that you're staying in Shanghai because you found a job in Shanghai? Or yes. do you like Shanghai versus other major cities in China? <laughs> um, you know, I really like Shanghai. It's an awesome place. Uh, very convenient, very international, very forward thinking. Uh -huh. But um, <laughs> Waiting for that. <laughs> it's not really a but, but it's just uh, I think I'm uh, definitely interested in, in the future moving somewhere else. When I first uh, graduated from Fudan, I really wanted to move to Beijing. Mm. Uh, and I was in the process of applying for a job at CGTN, actually. Because yeah. um, of personal reasons, I was kind of doubting it. And then I chatted to the guy uh, who was in charge of recruitment. And he said, you know, the whole process is really long. And if you pull out at the end, mm. if you get offered a job and then pull out, it's not going to look good. So if you're not sure, just wait a while. So I pulled out like before I you know, even started. Um, and since then, I've been in, in Shanghai Daily. But I think, you know, my situation at Shanghai Daily is so free, uh, like I have freedom to do my own content. Um, I'm really well supported. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if that um, mm. kind of freedom would exist in Beijing, although I definitely want to end up there later on. Most of the shows that I put together, and I mean like 99% of the stuff we talk mm. about on this show, it's my idea. I'm the one who does the research. I mm. create all the bullet points. So, you know. It's curated by yeah. Jason. Yeah. You know, uh, that's really great to hear that you have the opportunity. So what kind of stories do you typically, or maybe it's totally different all the time. What kind of stories do you bring to your readers for your daily column or your weekly column? Weekly column. Um, actually, that's slowed down a bit lately because I've been concentrating on video. But normally mm. it would just be to do with cultural, um, uh, contemporary cultural issues. Uh, 
internet, media, mm. um, things like that. Um, but ever since I started doing reports on China uh, more full time with Shanghai Daily, uh, I kind of do columns more sporadically at the moment. And the interesting thing is, um, you know, my content, uh, my series reports on China, which I mainly uh, is targeted to foreigners overseas. Um, a lot of my editors think it's too political, which is funny mm. <laughs> because it completely supports China and tries to debunk um, Western media fallacies, I guess, about China. But, uh, you know, I think it's quite interesting, probably for your listeners as well, that they may think that I'm being pushed to do this kind of content. But actually, <laughs> my bosses would rather I didn't, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually really interesting. So really quickly, you know, why don't you broadcast yourself? Where can we find uh, the video that you create reports on China? Actually, I post everything on my YouTube, which I started really concentrating on towards the end of last year. Mm. It's called Reports on China. So you could just search Reports on China or type youtube.com slash reports on China. And I also spend a lot of time on Twitter lately as well. Um, and that's at Andy B X X X. I'm also on all the, um, well, most of the Chinese uh, video apps like Billy Billy, Toutiao, Douyin, Kuaishou. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I spread out across those two a bit. But I saw some one of your posts about having 100,000 fans on Billy Billy. I think I'm only uh, 10,000 fans on Billy Billy. Oh, wow. You guys are. <laughs> oh, it's so slow. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, keep going. Keep going. Good. But it just doesn't happen fast, especially um, I found if you, mm. because we, we, we went to the Billy Billy office actually this week for a meeting um, with uh, their crew to talk about, um, you know, improving our content to more mm. yeah. target Billy Billy's audience, but they're really, really young. Mm. They're like 87% are under 25. So I think it's really tough, especially for people like us who do like uh, news, uh, politics. Mm. Kids, unfortunately, don't really want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're fun and the content is something that they could at least uh, understand a little bit, I'm sure it'll... There's a niche. Because Billy Billy does the mm. support thing. Yeah. I arrived in Beijing 2012 and I spent uh, nine years there. So I'm curious a little bit. And Alex is obviously living there now. So I'm curious a little bit. Why are you interested in living in Beijing? <laughs> uh, mainly because it's, it's the political, for me, it's the political and uh, media center mm. uh, of China. Mm. Um, Shanghai is more, and don't get me wrong, I love Shanghai, but it's more like um, economy, fashion, banking, things like that, which is all stuff I'm not interested in, to be honest. <laughs> but Beijing, for me, it feels like, you know, it's definitely like, especially with someone working in media, yeah. if you want to progress, um, really the only place I could go after Shanghai is Beijing. Uh, and also I'm just really interested in um, political uh, culture mm. and uh, news and things like that, which is definitely Beijing. You know, I'm not actually that interested in politics personally. I am interested in culture. Mm. And I, I, that's yep. one of the th reasons I really like Beijing. There's nonstop culture in your face everywhere you go, wherever you turn. There are museums and mm. just like buildings that are thousands of years old. It's, it's, it's a remarkable place for that reason. I wanted to ask you, what can you tell us about life in China versus like what maybe uh, I want to say English speakers, but also maybe just like Western? think about like what is life is like in China again like I said before if you've never been here if you understand China through media representations through movies it's absolutely not anything that you think it is like yeah people also I mean one of the big problems is people think that you know Chinese people are like this monolith this one group with one opinion <laughs> who listens to the government like it's absolutely not true like people here are just as as you know passionate you know everyone has their own passions their different beliefs their different views yeah it's absolutely you know 
completely different to what you might believe. So what I would say to people if they if they really want to understand China more um, is get to know Chinese people. Like there's Chinese people all over the world. Mm, 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 um, mm, it's mm. it's really easy to make friends with Chinese people. <laughs> and also, um, unfortunately, you know, we have coronavirus at the moment and China's, you know, with the zero COVID policy, it's not easy to come here. But if you do get a chance, um, visit, just visit. And mm, I think mm, most people that's a great will fall in love. Mm. About you specifically, what kind of food do you like in China? Because there's a, obviously a huge variety of kinds of food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more food. We always love talking about food. We're I always talking. It's so like in Shanghai or in China generally. What kind of food do you like that is you know local? I really love xiang cai, which is like from Hunan. Wow, uh, chuan cai from Sichuan province. Spicy food. Uh, Guizhou also has a lot of mm. really yummy, like sour, spicy. Uh, food. I love a lot of the mm-hmm. different foods from Yunnan province because there's so many ethnic minorities down there with so many different kinds of food. Mm-hmm. It's really delicious. And also another one I really found out recently that I really, really like is food from Guangxi. Um, yes. I don't like that. What's it called? The dish with <laughs> snails. No, the one with snails in it. Whoa. Snails. <laughs> the river snail noodles. It's, the river snail stinky noodles. Yes, it's just like, it's gross. It smells. Um, but <laughs> it tastes amazing. Everything really. with stinky in it. Yeah, like stinky tofu. I'm not, Ooh, oh my, no, no, no. I haven't even tried it. In, in 10 years of living in China, I have not tried oh it because I can't get past the smell. I'll make it happen. What about pidan? <laughs> no, you will not. 1,000 year <laughs> eggs or whatever it is that I can't do that either. Um, they're not. They're kind of bland, and they're just like eggs, kind of gelatiny eggs, kind of. I guess I don't like the way it looks. Uh, mm. I went uh, for dinner with a friend last night. We we had uh, great old food, <laughs> and he ordered that, and I was like, oh, I'll yeah. try it. I didn't. <laughs> you have to look beyond the look and and go to its core of existence. That's what people say about. Yeah, sometimes you just do. <laughs> I, I had a cicada, which is a kind of insect oh. in, in Beijing. Yeah. It's like roasted cicada. It is delicious. Fried, right? Not roasted. My cats. Yeah, my cats is. love cicadas. I remember. <laughs> in New Zealand, I used to I used to catch them. You can grab them by the wings, and they can't get away. That sounds really mean. But um, how big are they in New Zealand? In for New you Zealand, to be able to grab them by the wings. They're not that big. They're maybe four centimeters long, mm. four mm. or five. Mm. Um, smaller than here. Um, and but also, I remember in summer in New Zealand, walking home from school, there'd be all these dead cicadas like just stuck to the trees, and I'd grab like a handful oh and bring God. them home. My cat, my cats would love them. Wow! Wow! That that's really nice that you used to live in the Shire. <laughs> that's I mean, New Zealand is full of like uh, nature and like uh, beautiful parks, mountains, and that kind mm. of stuff, right? Yeah, I say you know when I tell people I'm from New Zealand, they're like, "Well, that's so beautiful." I'm like, <laughs> a lot of nice mountains, nice water, very boring." Wow. wow okay. Well, I'm, I mean, a lot of people who like nature, like hiking, like that kind of stuff. Maybe you know, New Zealand is the it's, it's good it's heaven on earth. And also, if you want to retire. <laughs> that's pretty good too. That's you a good go place. To, that's a good place to go. <laughs> go to New Zealand, but I, I find it interesting because a lot of Chinese people are like, um, "Why do you live here? Like New Zealand's so beautiful." Mm. And uh, I'm always like, oh, "Actually, it is beautiful. Yes, but there's just not much to do." And then uh, afterwards, like some of them will like study in New Zealand or something, and then they'll come back years later and be like, "You're right. It's so boring." <laughs> <laughs> wow, it sounds like they need to get some entertainment venues. I think so. In time, in terms of culture, like maybe what I mean by culture is traditional kind of Chinese cultures. What kind of aspects of Chinese culture are you interested in or find fascinating? Traditional Chinese culture. Actually, I'm not that interested in it, to be honest. I can't, I can't understand oh, okay. it. Um, 
I know China has like a very long history, <laughs> 5,000 years. I know, you know, some of the dynasties were, you know, lord, like people thought they were really amazing, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of, you know, like uh, in Shanghai, we have a lot of that culture as well, like the um, the opera and stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. it sounds really bad, but I'm just not interested. <laughs> what about arch- architecture? You know, like the old Taoist temples, Buddhist temples, that kind of style. I like going, like if I visit a place and they have, you know, kind of uh, old, you know, thousand year old uh, monasteries or whatever to go look at. I'll definitely go and have a look um, and it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but I just don't, and I, I don't know. I just can't comprehend such long history. So even when I was studying <laughs> Chinese language and culture, yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, I was interested in kind of modern, more contemporary. So maybe mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe from the opium war forward mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm more interested in. Yep. Um, but of course it's amazing. It's beautiful. And I do try to understand very, very general ideas. Like, you know, this era brought this kind of understanding, this era brought this kind of understanding, but in terms of the details like who was the emperor blah 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 i don't have i have no idea i have no idea too and i just like you know i've I've been to beijing opera i don't understand Mm. really what they're about but i appreciate like you know the dancing and the music and yeah and things like that what do you do for fun in in shanghai what kind of hobbies what are you interested in what you know moves you what do you what do you do when you're not a journalist i love walking i love eating um i love traveling so (laughs) whenever i can i like to get out of shanghai uh also China as well, but China has a lot of places to visit. That's mm. really amazing. It's massive. Um, but I do, at the moment, since early last year, I find myself working way too much. So I've kind of forgotten what I do in my spare time, uh, apart from work. But I do love to walk. I love to <laughs> eat. I love to meet friends. Um, I'm not really mm. into movies. Uh, travel, I really love. Um, just very simple stuff. Very simple stuff. Mm. What are some of the cities that you have uh, that have amazed you inside of China? I think my favorite city in China is Chongqing. It's so beautiful, mm. like mountains. Uh, I, I, I've been a few times and every time I go is in winter because I, I just can't stand the heat. <laughs> um, but it's always like really foggy. Um, you can walk up these mountains. They're like winding mm. streets and get lost. Like, I, you know, in Wellington, where I'm from mm. in New Zealand, we have a similar kind of topography, um, but we have like little, um, you know, two bedroom houses yeah. uh, on the hills. But in Chongqing, you walk around and it feels like you're in like a really small place in the middle of nowhere. But you'll turn a corner and there's like these huge apartment buildings jutting out of the trees. Um, it's just amazing. Like you can get lost in Chongqing. There's so much and the food vertical variations there. Yeah, it's amazing. Like honestly, you'll walk along a street and then you'll like look beside you. Suddenly, a, a building will pop up, and if you look down, even though you're on the street level, um, it goes down like yeah. ten floors down the mountain. Like it's just. I find it absolutely beautiful, fascinating. The people are really nice uh, and the food, obviously, um, really good spicy hot pot. Yeah, I was going to just out of curiosity, can you actually stand the Chongqing spicy? I do it, but my like, I really love the taste of it. My mouth loves it, but my stomach doesn't. So <laughs> afterwards, um, I have a bit of a problem, but I do try to push myself through it because it is amazing. Um, I find, what's that one? It's called um, Jiu, there's like nine parts. Jiu. Anyway, the, the, the hot pot where they divide the pot into in the nine sections. Right, right, right. And it's so, 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 so spicy. But um, that one is so I can't I can't do it. I recently discovered that people started labeling hmm. how spicy their food is in a different system. It goes oh. from mild to medium spicy <laughs> to extra spicy to Chongqing spicy. <laughs> exactly. 
but also the smell of it. Like I just love it. Like uh, during the lockdown here in, in Shanghai, I have some uh, Chongqing hot pot base at home. And um, when you put it together, nice. you put it in the pot and it starts melting. Like that smell, when it comes up, it just brings me back to Chongqing. It's, it's amazing. Wow. obviously very interested in journalism. You've been interested in it since you were young. Mm. Well, who were some of the journalists who inspire you, who you look to? Actually, unfortunately, there are less and less now because mm. I really feel like, especially in the West and especially since I've moved to China, um, so many journalists that I liked before are kind of... I don't know, drinking the Kool-Aid. They they just buy really quickly any negative news they hear I, about I China. I love that expression. It's just terrible. So mm. um, lately mm. I've more been gravitating to like YouTubers, uh, independent media people, like in terms of China, um, there's people like Daniel Dumbrell. Mm. Uh, he's really good. Byron Berletic. Um, also uh, Chinese journalists like Li Jingjing. I don't know if you guys know her. She's really good. I, I'm in the same dance studio with her. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. she's so cool. <laughs> I feel like, um, I, I, I guess in terms of Chinese journalists as well, I gravitate more to the ones who are doing similar work to me, which is um, trying to tell the real China to to mm. the world. Mm. Um, also, in Shanghai Daily, where I work, there's some amazing journalists. I don't know if they'll want me to name them, but <laughs> uh, for example, Yao Minji, Yang Jian, uh, just really amazing, passionate uh, journalists. <laughs> um, that's kind of who I gravitate to now because I'm spending a lot of time um, trying to, I guess, debunk or um, fight against imperialism, Western imperialism in some way. So that's kind of what I gravitate towards. <laughs> Misinformation, disinformation. That's a grand cause. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's well, tough, but there's a lot of great yeah. people. You mentioned earlier that seeing is believing that coming to China would be a great opportunity for people to better mm. understand China. Unfortunately, that's not a realistic expectation for many millions of people because of, you know, their financial situations or all kinds of other reasons that we can't, you know, imagine. If you could tell people uh, outside of China one or two simple things for them to take away from today's conversation mm. that you uh, see in China that is different from how it's represented outside of China, what would you tell them? Probably one of the most important ones would be, like I said before, that, you know, China, Chinese people are so varied. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just a group of people that are called Chinese. Like yeah. <laughs> there's 56 ethnic groups, you know, you have Han Chinese who are the main group. Um, and even within each group, um, Obviously, people have their own opinion. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions people have about China is Chinese people, that they're timid. Um, they have no opinions of their own. They listen to the government all the time, do what they're told. That is absolutely <laughs> completely far from mm -hmm, uh, the mm -hmm. reality. Um, so, you know, Chinese people are just absolutely uh, not a monolith. That would probably be the first thing. And the second one is kind of already in your, in your question, but it's that if you've never been to China and you're getting all your understanding of China from the Western media, you really don't know the real China. And that is, you know, hand on heart, absolutely true. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds a bit like a cliche, like some people might be like, <laughs> of course you'd say that, you know, I can't visit China, mm. the COVID, there's a lockdown, blah, blah, blah. But it's absolutely true. I think most people who come to China leave after their first time saying, that is absolutely nothing like mm -hmm. I believed or nothing like I expected. Yeah. I think, you know, no matter how much of a cliche it sounds like, you really need to, to visit. Um, but if you can't, like I said before as well, just make some Chinese friends yeah. uh, wherever you are. Chinese people are everywhere. Um, <laughs> it's not hard, I think. But yeah, basically, uh, it sounds rude, but I would tell them, Everything you think about China is probably wrong. <laughs> Which is probably true a lot of the mm. times. 
I think definitely. Alex, you are a Chinese person and you lived in the United States. Would you say that like second and third generation diaspora are even remotely like what are the cultural similarities and dissimilarities with people who were born and raised in China that you've noticed? This is a funny anecdote from my parents when I was studying in the U.S. And of course, they're they were already worried about my, you know, marital status when I was there. And they were like, you're in the U.S. and you should probably find like they call Asian Americans ABCs, like Chinese American ABCs. You should find an ABC because you guys have so much in common. I was like, honestly, actually, if they are American Chinese person who's not first generation, their value sometimes really doesn't align with our value when it's not about who's right or wrong. Mm. Their family might still eat the same kind of food Mm. or or they might celebrate the same holidays, but the values are not the same anymore because they live in a different society. It's very hard to keep what you believe in, like keep believing in what you believed in before uh, when you're living in a completely different uh, social economical uh, system. And with, 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 I know that a lot of uh, like we talked about the, a celebration of Chinese New Year and other traditions that are luckily kept among the Chinese communicate Chinese American community uh, in the U.S. But like other than that, I feel like if you want to know about China, because a lot of people, a lot of younger Chinese American kids, they probably haven't had the chance to really live in China, to experience China and really try to be part of what it is when you because a lot of them, if they, if they grow up in the States and they come back. Uh, or Australia, you know, anywhere that is not their, uh, uh, where their parents come from. When they come back, they still look at it. They still look at everything from sort of a visitor's mm. perspective. Um, so not a lot of things line up, actually, at least for me. And that's my that's my experience when I was in the States. You might be better off even asking kids, like international kids who, who, who go to school here, who live here. Like they probably have a much better understanding because this is where they grew up. A lot of things you can't really tell or, or judge if you're not like living it on a, on a day-to-day basis. Well, can I problematize that a little bit? I don't mean to be disagreeable. But I mean, one of the things that we've highlighted in previous shows is that there are so many similarities. So like, you know, people in in America, whether they be uh, Chinese descendants or European descendants or whatever, mm. they, they love their families, of course. they work hard. And people in, in China's mainland and elsewhere, they love their families and they work hard. So like, um, what do you mean by the values don't line up? Like you're talking about nuanced things. Yeah, definitely. Right? Not core values of a person. But I mean, like if you want to... Basically, what I'm saying is you can't go to like a younger, like Chinese American person and asking them about Chinese society, you know, like what's uh, how are things done there yeah, and how are systems like how do the bank system yeah. work or how do like hmm. re- businesses get their registration and stuff, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, okay. like because people ask those questions and people do think like, oh, you're Chinese, you know, everything about China. But I'm like, there's a lot of things that yeah. are changing very rapidly are developing constantly. You Unless you live in here you really don't understand because people like to do people like to take shortcuts when i was working on my previous job they're like oh 10 things you have to know about certain country if you want to do businesses mm, mm-hmm, and then where we look at those things we're like no things are not the same anymore like you can't <laughs> you can't just look at go to shortcuts and ask them like oh how things are done what you mm. do want to do is to ask them about for example the history of this country 
even the climate situation of the of the country like what's the weather like there uh what do people usually like how do they go about their whole year there are things that are factual that become a very important part of why their culture is the way it is that'll help you understand people a lot better instead of just be like how it, what is it like there <laughs> <laughs> Twenty five hundred years ago, an old man rode on his buffalo and headed west of China. Before he vanished into the wild, he left behind a book of five thousand words, which for the next two and a half millennia would have shaped the Chinese way of thinking. Subscribe to the sayings of Lao Tzu and find out why generals with wisdom yield after winning the ultimate battle and how staying behind just might help you get ahead of others. The Sayings of Lao Tzu is available on all major podcast platforms. Andy, there's uh, obviously Chinese people that live in New Zealand. Mm. Is there a large community there? Did you have the chance when you were studying Chinese culture to make a lot of Chinese friends in New Zealand? Actually, there's a lot of Chinese people in New Zealand that have been there for a long time, like all the way back to the like the gold rush days. Mm. Um, and then there's also Chinese people that uh, have come recently or foreign students. Uh, thankfully, uh, at our university, Victoria, we have a Confucius Institute. Mm. Uh, mm. A lot of uh, teachers mm. from the mainland uh, came over. Yeah. So there was a lot of chance to um, get to know uh, people from China. But, you know, on the question you just asked, Alex, I think it's really hard to view people um, in two ways, if you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. I think people, mm-hmm. for example, even ABCs, if they grow up in America, I think a lot of people just view them as American. Yeah, exactly. No matter what. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to kind of switch gears. So, like, I found myself, and this sounds really bad, but even when I was studying, learning Mandarin uh, after I added that as a major, I was more inclined to meet people from China. Mm-hmm. Uh, to mm-hmm. Even if the New Zealand Kiwis, you know, uh, could speak Mandarin, I was kind of like, yeah, but they're New Zealanders. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's yeah. it's really quite unfair. So, you know, I was wondering with with you, Alex, mm. like, is it hard to straddle two cultures? Because I know a lot of ABCs in the States, they feel like they're not accepted as Americans. And then they come to China. They're not accepted, they're not as, accepted Chinese. as Chinese. Like how is that true? Or how do you deal with it? It is for me. And it is true. Even if you didn't grow up in the States, even if for us who lived uh, overseas in any country, really it doesn't have to be just the U.S. Right. You kind of the premise of you being able to live in another country is that you agree with how that society is functioning mm. and it, different countries operate so differently. So you have to kind of agree with two systems. But a lot of us are kind of taught or we're we, we inclined we're inclined to believe believing that you know there is only one truth one way uh, one right one right and everything else is, is wrong you know so when you when you grow up in a place and you go live in another space that it's especially when it's like china and america where people believe quote unquote that it's so different drastically different mm. you have to convince yourself and you try to understand for me that's an experience of opening up your mind to more possibilities, more, you know, um, alternatives. And it actually helps you. It actually helps a lot when you look at different issues. But for people who um, are living in that life from a a, a day to day basis, it's Mm. it was hard. It was hard for a lot of the time when I was in the States, uh, especially when it comes when it came to like topics about China. And you're just listening to you're just listening to how people didn't understand. And then as much 
English as you could speak as a foreigner living、mm. in the United States, it feels like you can't get、mm. to the core of why people have that misconception,、uh, misconception of what China is. I have a much easier、mm. time trying to explain what my parents didn't understand about America to them in Chinese, <laughs> and they they believe me. But when I was trying to say. No, that's not how it is. When people bring up something, and I'm not trying to be, you know,、uh, ar- argumentative.、Mm. I wasn't trying to be like, you know, wasn't trying to battle them about their ideas. But still, people would be like, "Oh, you say that because you're from there and you want to agree." I'm like,、mm. there's a logical explanation, but I, I can't get behind that. But I do know、mm. we wanted to start this、uh, a podcast thing when I was in the states. We're gonna call it the Inbetweeners because we're kind of like the people that are、oh. we're caught in between two cultures and. And、we're kind of just dangling in those two spaces. <laughs> very, very funny.、Uh, personal. When I was there, I went to because we were all trying to hang out with the with the, our American、uh, friends in the same program, and then they would hear they would hear me speak English, and they were like, "Oh, wow, your English is really good." Da 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 da.、Mm. Five minutes, five minutes in, they kind of just forget. Like you're not you're not a a, a Chinese. International student anymore? Like we're just talking to you, and then they start talking about baseball. They start talking about the politics, whatever Congress, whatever senator, all of these things that、I、have no background of, and it's all like it's a part of their life and a lot of pop culture references. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's a song. Okay, sure, I know that. And then at the same time, my friends. My other Chinese friends were in the same program. Chinese students who came from China were like, "Oh, Alex wants to hang out with them because Alex wants to hang out with the, you know, the Americans." Da, 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 and she enjoys her time being at their parties. So at a certain point, I became the person who's not invited to either party. <laughs>、oh, it, was, yeah. it was very sad for a moment, but you know, you you grow up and you you got to you learn to deal with it, and then you found other international friends who are also kind of in the same situation. Ooh, the same situation. So we had a tiny model <laughs> UN that.、Uh, Made of people who go through exactly what you're talking about, Andy. Like we're kind of caught in between、mm. two so cultures. So you were in a kind of expat bubble, yeah. <laughs> the re- reverse expat reverse bubble. bubble. The one I'm thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of it.、Um, like you said, it really comes down to how you sound with your language. Like if you have a very native accent, like you don't sound foreign, people、yeah. more willingly accept you into their、uh, culture. I guess、mm. it's the same. I feel like with foreigners in China, if they have a really good accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, good fluency. A lot of the time,、uh, Chinese people they'll bring their guards down as well, in the same way that you just said. So, I think people need to work more on accents. You were very humble at the beginning of our show, Andy. I, but I I know that you've conducted entire interviews and exclusively in Mandarin. So it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't make me. I'm not. I'm not. No. 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 We don't want to like have our listeners too confused. We already showed off your amazing Mandarin and Shanghainese. I just want to mention, you know, that. Your ability to speak Chinese must enable you to make, you know, a lot of Chinese friends because some foreigners who come over here they、mm. don't have even HSK three or HSK four. They they just speak like their hundred or two hundred words or and, nothing, or nothing, yeah, yeah. Or nothing, yeah.、Mm. I, well, yeah, Jaga, yeah, exactly, <laughs> almost nothing. Well, <laughs> young, yeah, yeah, exactly. So these people, obviously, m- almost all of their friends are exclusively either other expats or Chinese who are already fluent in English, which <laughs> must make it very difficult for them to adapt. We cuddle them too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Especially in places like Shanghai, like I know、uh, that Shanghai has a higher percentage of、uh, locals who speak English. 
So actually, mm. a lot of the foreigners who end up in Shanghai, uh, you know, I think you were quite generous by saying, you know, they have HSK two or three. Actually, most of them mm. have nothing. <laughs> um, I think I saw a figure somewhere. I can't find it again, but um, uh, over ninety percent of uh, foreigners living in China wow. can't Literate. even speak anything. Wow. Yeah, mm. and I think um, it's really it's disappointing um, because I really feel like language is like a key to mm. culture. Yes, um, and I know that's the case. You know, even for Shanghainese here in, in Shanghai. So uh, in Shanghai Daily, we'll have meetings, and oftentimes, um, you know, mostly it's in Mandarin, but then it'll switch to Shanghainese, and <laughs> it's just a whole it's a, like a whole different feeling like uh, the local people they just you know even even though their mandarin is just you know native level uh -huh. they still prefer to switch to shanghainese when it comes to you know more nuanced topics or, or things like that so mm -hmm. it's tough like but i think you know the first step is just to learn mandarin uh, like if, if your listeners are contemplating moving here or learning any chinese languages i think mandarin's the way to go because it definitely has the most support, mm -hmm. uh, like there's Confucius Institutes all around the world, a lot of material. And also Mandarin is spoken mm -hmm. all over China, um, regardless of what the, the local dialects are. So that's a really yeah. good start. One of the original reasons that I was interested in uh, your program, you mm. did a YouTube episode, at least one, the one that I saw early on a couple months ago about uh, China's mission to raise people out of poverty. Mm. Oh, yeah. And this is one a topic that I find really, really interesting is a talking point for me when I tell people about China, because like you said earlier, people imagine that China is gray and that it, it's devoid of like, you know, any modernity. Mm. But the reality is that China is really not only modern, but China has spent spent an enormous amount of energy and people energy and money to help all of the mm -hmm. most disadvantaged people in the country out of absolute poverty. So that absolute poverty in basically 2020, 2021 has basically been virtually eliminated. And I was wondering, based on your seeing as believing in the video, which is the video that I got that from, how would you describe what you've seen as a journalist? Well, I think, um, you know, I was blown away. I think one of the first trips I took uh, to view, mm. you know, the, uh, the poverty alleviation program was to uh, Dongshan, uh, people, Dongshan People's Autonomous Region in Gansu Province. Mm. Just amazing, like the, the mm. amount of work they put into it. Uh, and it's not just, you know, I think in English we say, um, oh, I can't even remember the saying. It's like, give a man a fish he can eat for a day, teach him to fish he can yep. eat for life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're not just doing these kind of um you know, token gestures or, or whatever it is to help people get out of poverty. They're actually really helping them uh, with education, yep. training, um, and everything like that so they can continue to, uh, you know, make a great living for themselves. So um, one of the um, one of the examples is we went to, you know, Dongshan potatoes are really, really famous yeah. as well as their lamb. Um, but the potatoes are super famous. Uh, so we went to, to pick potatoes, which was my first time doing that. It was really awesome. Mm. Um, but uh, they they have experts come in to teach the locals how to uh, get a better yield, get a, get a mm. better quality. Uh, and they took us to a patch where there was uh, one farm who hadn't yet taken on the um, the poverty alleviation training. Mm. And then right next to it was another patch that had uh, been doing the new processes after the training for a year or two. Honestly, the difference was so huge. Mm. Um, 
I can't remember the technical aspects, but there were um, uh, things they would do technically in terms of uh, pesticides. And then they have like a, a layer of um, a black protection layer that they put in for protection from sunburn or something. I can't remember all the details, mm. but basically the yield of potatoes, just this one example, was so much better. Um, and so they're able to really, you know, absolutely pull themselves up from from poverty. And I think that um, was achieved in, in late 2020. It started about, I think actually they set to remove absolute poverty in 2012 and it started in 2013. Um, but even, um, you know, the coronavirus outbreak didn't slow it down. So mm. I think um, China hasn't been given enough credit really for what they've achieved. Um, it's mm. really an amazing thing. And I've been to many more places to, to visit um, similar programs. Um, honestly, I was blown away uh, and it's absolutely yeah. amazing. Well, I actually would like to ask you about those visits too. Could you, t because one of the things that I've been uh, mm. reading about is that China used different methods to help people raise themselves out of poverty in different parts right. of China. It wasn't just like that the central government said, okay, everyone's going to do this. And yeah. then just everyone copied yeah. some sort of like template. They, the precise they, ahead, uh, poverty alleviation program, right? It's like, it's very targeted and it's very yeah. down to what you are uh, going through. It's based on, yeah, based on like the local context. Um, obviously, the goal is not to have some, you know, fake, uh, you know, everyone has enough money in 2020. Yes, we've achieved it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's forget about it. It's for life. Like it's, it's continuing. The, the program is not over. Like, you know, there's still more training. And like you said, it's all based on the, the local context. So in terms of Dongxiang, just one of the examples is potato. Mm. There's another one. Their lamb is very famous. Um, they've set up a lot of cooperatives, um, uh, you know, really increasing the quality of the lamb that comes out of that area. And the people are just doing uh, amazingly well. So it's not some one size fits all Beijing ordered um, nope. yeah. process. It's it's targeted. And so what happens is uh, people in the different areas are assigned to uh, the different programs based on what their area has. For example, you know, what are they growing? Uh, what kind of resources do they have? And then teams are set up um, to try and get that process going. Obviously, people will also come in from out of the area and live there for a few years to, you know, experts in whatever, you know, area it is based on their context to help push it forward. So it's a lot of manpower, a lot of planning, um, and it's definitely not, uh, you know, over. It's it's ongoing, continually so growing. So do you know if this is linked to either of you? Uh, this is a question for both of you. To the Because after this mm -hmm. program... Uh, well, I guess it's not finished, but arrived at one of the markers for that they were attempting to achieve. There's this new idea of common prosperity. Do either of you know a little bit more about that for our listeners? Because this is a new goal for, I think, 2035, that oh. uh, there will be a, a common prosperity across the nation. How is this different from the poverty allevi alleviation campaign that preceded it? I think it would definitely be completely different. I think they'll raise their standards. Um, I'm not sure mm. of the details of that, but I know with this um, uh, drive, you know, how in 2020, uh, they said we've achieved, mm. uh, we've uh, lifted everyone above absolute poverty. That is, mm -hmm. um, you know, China's measure of poverty. There's a world index of poverty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the Chinese version is a bit different based on uh, local conditions and also pay, what is it? Um, PP? Yeah, purchasing power parity. Right. It's, a, it's a little different, but actually they've lifted people above what mm. they call absolute 
absolute poverty, but that is still not the final goal. Like it's still not high enough. So mm. I think to be lifted above absolute poverty, you only need to earn, um, I, know, I don't know the exact figure, but it could be like 12,000 UN per year. So it's still quite low. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I imagine what's going to happen is they're going to keep raising the standard and bring China, mm-hmm. everyone in China up to a more prosperous uh, standard. I don't know if you know more, Alex. Uh, I mean, uh, apart from the, the news from, I think the goal was made uh, to uh, two years ago um, and it's if you want to look at this I mean I guess an okay analogy to make is that we're kind of first trying to bring everybody up to speed mm-hmm. as much as we can and then from there on after we're we reached the initial goal of the poverty alleviation program now let's forge on with basically everybody in China and the the key is for its development and safety from the government's reports that's kind of the main goal for the 20, uh, uh, 2035 uh, mission vision. What I love about China is these long-term plans. Like it's something, mm. you know, when you have a stable government, uh, like China has, we can really go for these long-term plans, um, <laughs> that look way into the future. I mean, in the West and I'll just talk about New Zealand. Um, you know, we have uh, elections every, I've forgotten now, three years. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, People, people just have plans for the three years. It's like, oh, we will lower taxes. We will build that bridge. Um, but they, they can't really afford to have long-term plans, which is something that is very unique about China, uh, which I really love. Like Shanghai has a plan for 2050, yeah. you know? So it's just amazing what stable government can do. You have piqued my curiosity so much. What is this plan for 2050 in Shanghai? It's just basically turning Shanghai into, a, what do they call it, uh, a metropolis with global significance and uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's, what's the word? Um, anyway, they want to make Shanghai, uh, you know, a really key uh, international city. That's I thought Shanghai was a key international city. It is, but they want, they want more. They want more. I mean, more, yeah. So basically what they're looking for is to, you know, increase. Uh, also, one of the main points is to increase people's, uh, make people's livelihoods mm-hmm. better. Um, so one of the things, and this is all over China now, but uh, this was one of the earlier uh, targets was to have uh, everything you need in life available within just a 15 minute oh, walk. that's very mm. cool actually because yeah. that, that lowers people's environmental impact. Exactly. And it's uh, environment is really important. So also another aspect, I don't have the details in front of me, but just from memory, another aspect of the 20, mm-hmm. 2050 plan 50. is um, environmental. You know, China, Shanghai wants to be one of the key uh, environmental friendly cities uh, in the world. Mm. Uh, and that involves, you know, like Chongming Island or so many different areas. So mm. there's all these huge plans in place. Um, yeah. Next time, I mean, we could talk about it for a whole show and I'll bring more details. <laughs> I actually would love to have you on the show again in the future. You are, a, you know, someone that's really exciting, who knows a lot about what's going on. Yeah. And it would be uh, oh, our you. pleasure to host you again if you're willing to come on. Oh, I'd love to. I'd like to talk a little bit about environmental protection because, you know, you have lived here a long amount of time and so have I. One thing that I've seen visually with and smelled, you know, with my nose <laughs> is like the difference from 10 years ago to now. Yeah. You know, there used to be Beijing days where, you know, PMI was like 200 and now that's just not the case. Right. And I, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit for our listeners at home, what kind of things you've seen in terms of uh, environmental protection and the improvement of the air quality and things like that. Well, 
Firstly, one of the things your listeners might, you know, already believe is that China is this hugely polluted, disgustingly dirty place. But <laughs> China, China's government and China's regional governments are so serious about uh, environmental protection and also um, removing pollution. Yeah. Um, they really care about about the people. Like d- the amount of pollution uh, that China saw, you know, ten even five years ago was so, you know, it's not good. It's dangerous. It's not good for anybody. Nobody wants that. So, yeah. like you said, even with Shanghai, the the number of clear days uh, now is just so much more than before. Mm. And also another important aspect, uh, especially to do with Shanghai, is the Suzhou Creek. Mm. That's kind of one of the measures people use to kind of look at how Shanghai is doing. Mm. So before, even 10 years ago, there were so many dirty areas. Mm. The water was dangerous. It's been completely turned around. Even in just the time that I've been here, um, the waterway has been cleared. I mean, it's Mm. it's seen by Mm. many. You know, waterways are so important. It's kind of an artery for the city. So if you look at pictures of Shanghai historical images, you'll uh, you know, undoubtedly see uh, mm. images of the Suzhou Creek and the Huangpu River. It was just f- like mm, trash mm. floating on the whole thing. Like, and apparently, you know, I heard that it just smelled like <laughs> feces, dead animals. Tr- like it was disgusting. And that has just <laughs> been so, you know, turned around. That, that was, you know, a hundred years ago. But even like I said, five years ago, 10 years ago, it's just improved so much since then. So I think China is definitely... Leading the way uh, in terms mm-hmm, of you know mm-hmm. renewable energies, um, Offshore, environmental yeah. protection, yeah. and there's a lot of data uh, you know that you can find online to, to back that up. It's not you know you don't just listen to us. It's really been a wonderful interview. Thank you for coming on the show, Andy. We are out of time. Listen to our next episode for more insights and be a part of bridging the East and West. Again, thank you, Andy, and thank you, Alex. Thank you. Always loving our guests. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. 